Welcome to Inner Challenge, a podcast that takes the mystery out of cultivating mental wellness. Today's question is, who am I? Part two. Before I share some reflections on this important topic, I want to touch base with you on how did you do with last week's Inner Challenge. Did you take some time to think about your life story from infancy through the grade school years using the lens of Dr. Erickson's life stages? Perhaps you pulled out a journal and you took some notes and you realized, wow, in fifth grade, when my teacher told me I was really good in math or English or whatever subject it may have been, you began to really put some energy into that area. And you can look back now and see that that was the root of your competency. Or maybe you were introduced to a sport, a musical instrument, or dance in early grade school, and you loved it, and you became very industrious. And that love filled many years of your life after, giving you a sense of competency and helping you define yourself as a person who loves this particular area. Or maybe you went for a walk, and on your walk you remembered your early grade school years, which took place at a school where you fit in and really loved the whole vibe of the place. And then your family moved in third or fourth grade to a school that never really felt like you could be part of it. And you can look back and see that that experience planted some seeds of inferiority that still remain with you today. Or maybe you sat on the couch with the one-pager in your lap, well-intended to think about your childhood, and after a minute or two, you found yourself shutting down because the pain of thinking about your parents' alcoholism or perhaps a household that was chaotic due to job loss or the many other things that can really affect a child's life was just too much to handle. And before you knew it, You crumpled up the one-pager, you flipped on Netflix, and you binged watching Ted Lasso without even making the connection that, yes, Ted had his own pain in childhood that he, too, spent a lot of energy avoiding. When we answer the question, who am I, it is helpful to go back and reflect on our formative years. Sometimes people say to me, what's the point? They're over. Erickson really helps us to understand that the point is, in each developmental stage, we do have a psychosocial crisis that we are asked to work through, not on our own, especially in the early years, because we really need the support of primary caretakers, our family. And when we do work through these successfully, we leave that stage with a strength. But when, like Ted Lasso, there's this deep, deep hurt whether it be alcohol, the death of a parent, or just a household that's chaotic, we are left with certain weaknesses that if we become conscious about them, we can go back and repair. In my opinion, the genius of Eric Erickson's stages decades later is that they still apply to how the human being develops today. And they are hopeful because much of the hurt, much of the weakness, much of the ache can be repaired through a consciousness and an intentionality that says, I'm going to go back and work through that stage, but this time 
walk out of it with a strength that I develop using my own resources. So let's move forward and let's discuss Dr. Erickson's last five stages of human development. If you're a person who likes to take notes or likes to look at images, please go to my website, mjmurrayvachon.com. Under the podcast tab, you will see a one-pager for podcast number four. Yes, this is really part two of Who Am I? So, if you're in a safe place, I want you to take a second and stop. Move your awareness to your feet and take a couple breaths. And pay attention to what happens inside of you. Notice when I say these two words, adolescence and teenager. If you're like many people that I have asked this question to, you have a pretty immediate reaction or set of memories within you. Let's sift it. Perhaps your body had a sensation which was a reaction to these words. Maybe you were filled with dread or maybe your spirit uplifted a bit. Did these two words conjure up any images? Maybe of you in a school play or you and your buddies trying pot for the first time. Did the words teenager or adolescence surface any feelings in you? Maybe some of sadness or the nostalgic feeling of your first love. Lastly, maybe you had some thoughts when I said those words. Oh, I am so glad those years are over. Or, boy, those were the days. Yes, adolescence, perhaps more than any other life stage, is filled with intense memories. Once you learn a little bit about this stage, it will make sense. It is during adolescence, which starts at age 12 and ends at age 25, that our brain has its second biggest growth spurt. Yes, the first being infancy, but the second being adolescence. And of course that makes sense because it is in adolescence that our childhood brain matures into an adult brain. You will see on the one pager that in Dr. Eric Erickson's stage, prior to the advent of neuroscience, he defined adolescence as being from age 13 to 19, where the big question was, who am I and what can I be? The big questions are still the same, but with the advent and the advancements of neuroscience, and we now know that there is this huge growth spurt that takes around 13 years. Dr. Daniel Siegel helps us understand what the teen brain does, and this really gives us good guidance as we, whether we're adolescents listening to this, parents of adolescents, or professionals working with adolescents, or perhaps family members trying to love them in this really intense and complicated stage, are wise to understand. Siegel says that the essence of a teen brain is this, that the teen brain leans towards ES, emotional spark. Yes, adolescents are full of emotional intensity. Social engagement. It is in this stage that both Erickson and Siegel say that the most significant relationship that are that of peers and role models. Teens are looking for their next tribe. And N 
The teen brain leans towards novelty. They want new experiences, whether it's working at a part-time job, trying new activities in high school and college, or yes, dabbling in drugs and pornography. This stage, the brain loves new and novel experience. And lastly, the teen brain needs and wants creative exploration, which is why teens love music, poetry, and yes, TikTok. I can't think of a more vivid example that shows how incredibly creative young people are. It doesn't really take a developmental psychologist or a neuropsychiatrist to let the average person on the street to understand that the psychosocial crisis for a teenager is identity versus role confusion. Yes, adolescents struggle as they should, and rightly so, all through this stage with the question, who am I and what can I do with my life? As our society has changed, there are many more career, educational, gender, sexual orientation, and lifestyle options for young people to explore. From my view as a clinician, I am grateful that this age has been extended to be 13 years long because these questions need a lot of time, a lot of attention, and a lot of intentionality. If a teen is going to move through this stage in a successful way, where at the end they answer the question, who am I? A dynamic question for sure, but with more clarity and more fidelity and faithfulness than at any other time in their life. I find it interesting that Erickson chooses the strength that a teen gets at the end of the stage as being that of fidelity. Yes, fidelity is an old-fashioned word, but what it really means is that a teen in their middle 20s, as they move successfully through adolescence, understand who they are in a way that deeply resonates with themselves. Sometimes I think the enormity of choices that today's adolescents face in defining who they are can make them overwhelmed and apathetic. I think our visual world filled with social media that often encourages teens to lean into trying to be famous or wealthy or do something that nobody else has done before makes them feel like they have failed even before they have started. The overwhelming choices, and often, I think, the really tricky balance between adolescents and the adults around them, make a teen feel alone. What I mean by that is that adolescents often give off the vibe to the adults in their life of, I don't need you. Yet, they need us in a really, really important way, but often on their terms and not ours. One thing that I think often goes unnoticed until it's more entrenched in a teen's life than the adults realize is the adolescent's use of alcohol, drugs, pot, pornography, and tech as a way to soothe the anxiety, the depression that many of them feel throughout this stage. I encourage adults to not use the line, well, 
That's just how a teenager is. When teenagers are exploring any of these vices, their initial intention is often to belong or to soothe what's going on inside of them. As all of us know, no drug, no device on technology and pornography really allows a child to answer the question, who am I, with words. What they do is just soothe the discomfort and encourage connection with their peers that are at best altered and at worst not rooted in being authentic. They need us as adults to be sounding boards, people who are the container for their confusion, yes, their role confusion as they move through this stage. Without it, they will become apathetic. They won't move into the next stage with a solid sense of identity. They will often end up having a sense of self that is rooted in low self-esteem and a sense of not really feeling like they have the agency to move into adulthood. Let's now look at Erickson's next stage. Stage six, young adulthood. As we have said, adolescence is the bridge from childhood to adulthood, and young adulthood really begins when we are around 18 years old and continues until we're 40. Yes, we can see an overlap with adolescence and young adulthood. That's part of what makes adolescence so confusing. Because as we are working on answering the question, who am I and what can I be in adolescence? In the latter years, as our brain continues to mature into a full adult brain, we are also stepping into young adulthood where the big question is, can I love? When I first introduce people to this stage, they often think what it means is that this is the stage of life that they are looking for a life partner. And while there is a lot of truth in that, what Erickson really means is that each of us is working on the skill of being a person who can love, not necessarily a person who is loved, though of course they are two sides of the same coin. Because in this stage, a long stage of young adulthood, as we work on being a person who can love, we are really, really invested in our friends and our life partners. So let me talk a little bit about what it means to love. The definition that I use for love is quite simple. Love is the ability of doing what is right and best for oneself and for others. Interesting, Erickson says that the psychosocial crisis in this stage is intimacy versus isolation. To really understand this, let me define for you intimacy. There are many definitions, but the definition that I use is this. Intimacy is our ability to share our opinions, our emotions, and our values in an honest way, first with ourself and then with another. Intimacy is rooted in safety and mutuality. Intimacy is feeling safe enough with ourself to be honest about what our opinion really is, to be honest about what our emotion really is, and to do the hard work of clarifying 
for ourselves in this stage of young adulthood. What are our values? Some of those will mirror the values of the family that we grew up in, but other values that we hold in a young adulthood will be different from our family of origin. And this, as we all know, is not always easy. So intimacy starts with being authentic to who we really are in these ways. And in working with Erickson's big question, can I love, it's having the courage to share the answers to these questions with others and also being able to be a person, listen, be curious, and hold the answers that people have to these very same questions. So yes, I think of intimacy as mutuality that goes back and forth between romantic partners, friends, colleagues, and the communities that we live in. I am not suggesting that every person needs to have all the information about us. What I am suggesting is that we become quite clear on the importance of developing the skill of intimacy so we know when it is safe to use and what is appropriate for each relationship that we have. One thing that I have learned in working with 20-somethings and people in their early 30s is that they are often confused that intimacy is something that they have to work on outside of romantic relationships. They are often surprised at how hard it is to find friendships and communities at this stage of their life. I'm sure there are many reasons why it is more difficult to find friends and communities in young adulthood, but some of it I think has to do that in previous life stages, these just kind of automatically happened for a person. Friends were found at school and activities, communities were an extension of sports teams, and other interests that young people have. So I really work with people in this life stage to encourage them to put energy into having friendships and communities where they can really share themselves in real and authentic ways. Because if the big question in this stage is, can I love, it is intimacy that really is the fuel for making love feel real and connecting inside of oneself. If this stage is not moved through in a, sex, in a successful way, Erickson tells us that a person has a sense of isolation. They leave the stage not with the strength of intimacy and love, but rather with a sense of feeling alone and excluded. This can be quite painful and is something over the years that I have helped many people repair Let's move to the next stage. Erickson calls this stage adulthood. It starts at around 40 and ends around 64. The crisis in this stage, according to Erickson, is generativity versus stagnation. The big question at this stage is, can I make my life count? Generativity involves finding life's work and contributing to the development of others through activities such as raising children, volunteering, mentoring, and one's occupation. Like in adolescence, one of the challenges of these days 
are the images that all of us take in about what is seen as a good life. There's a huge emphasis on living large, on being famous, of not being small. I often fear that the emphasis that the media puts on these qualities, I don't know if I want to call them values, often overemphasizes fame and power and undervalues what it means to live a good and ordinary life where we go to work and contribute, where we participate in our community, where we root for our local football team, and where we care about daily, ordinary things that we can do to help our planet. The cares that dads and moms of three children who work full-time jobs, help their kids with homework, and shuttle them to activities is incredibly generative. But sometimes what people share with me in the safe place of my office is that they don't feel that doing these really important life tasks are enough. They see those as being ordinary and not really making them feel like what they're doing in their life counts. Yes, we all see on Instagram photos of people running marathons, traveling all over, or creating their own startup companies. This often is held up as normal. I want to be a voice, even if I'm a voice in the wilderness, it says, raising good and loving children, doing one's job every day to the best of your ability is a story of greatness, is a life that counts. I am a fan of the ordinary life done well. Those who do not master this task often do have a sense of stagnation. They often move into the next stage of Erickson's life stages with a sense of feeling rejected that who they are and what they contribute is not enough. That is why I think it is so important that we offer support to one another and to people in this life stage for how well they're doing the ordinary. Before we move into Erickson's last stage, I want to share with you a stage that Mary Catherine Bateson recommends we insert into Dr. Erickson's life stage. This stage is known as adulthood too. Bateson suggests that with our longevity in life increasing and today's 65-year-old having an awful lot of energy and life experience to contribute, we consider that we really do have an adulthood too where the psychosocial crisis is do we continue to engage in the world or do we withdraw? The big question Bateson suggests is who am I now? Think about it. This really makes sense. What does the university professor at age 67 with decades of experience and wisdom offer now that the classroom is no longer available to him? How does the ordained minister with incredible gifts of accompanying people in difficult times, of encouraging people to look within themselves and connect to the spiritual, find ways to offer their extreme and often necessary gifts, even though they no longer have a church or parish or temple of their own. And what about the grandparent? 
those people who are done parenting their own children, but really do understand how much work it takes to raise good kids, how can they offer support in this stage of their life when they no longer have full-time employment? Bateson wisely says that the strength we gain in this stage is active wisdom and the significant relationships are our community and family. Yes, I think all people in this stage have to work through the images that our culture gives us that we are out to pasture, that these are the years of golf and playing cards or sitting in wheelchairs. None of us have to look far to find that 73-year-old who still has a lot of active wisdom to give. If we don't wrestle against these deeply embedded cultural images, we will withdraw and we will enter into this stage with a sense of indifference that my time is over and I don't have much to give. Let's move on to Erickson's last stage, old age. Erickson says it starts around 65 and it ends, of course, when we die. I think being a fan of Bateson's vision, I think old age now probably starts mostly in one's 70s or 80s, depending on one's physical and mental health. The psychosocial crisis of this stage is integrity versus despair. The big question that many people work through is, is it okay to have been me? Having had a number of clients and known many people in this particular stage of life, what I really see them wrestling with is looking back on their life and reflecting and saying, did I do it well enough? When one does this, they really do work through a sense of integrity and understanding that while they didn't do their life perfectly, they really did it to the best that they could, having learned along the way. Because as I have tried to stress in both of these podcasts, who am I is a lifelong question. And in this stage, one really battles with letting go of the independence that is probably overvalued into this culture and working in to an interdependence. When we do this, we gain the strength of what Erickson calls receptive wisdom and humility. When we don't, we often live into the weakness of disdain and despair. Let me share with you a small example from my parents' old age years. When my father was 89, he was diagnosed with the type of cancer where he was given about six months to live. Having led a really good life with lots of energy and few health issues, he moved into this stage like he did all the others with a sense of intention and energy. But as all of you know, cancer often takes the most vital person into a place of struggle. One of the struggles that my father had was his eyesight waned and he needed to stop driving, according to his doctor. My role was to negotiate this loss with him. He was not a person like my mother. Few minor car accidents looked at me and said, I think I'm done driving and handed over the keys. But my father didn't come to that wisdom and humility in quite the same way. The best I could do with him was bargain 
that he wouldn't drive for two weeks at a time, and then we would assess how his eyesight was. Each of them handled this loss in a different way. My mother, with humility and receptive wisdom, knowing that it was time for her to not drive. My father, hoping that his eyesight would one day allow him to drive again. Both of this is fine. It was their way. But it really showed me how this psychosocial crisis of trying to live with integrity, the truth of the moment, isn't an all or nothing process for some people. And that is quite fine. And those of us accompanying our parents and our loved ones at this stage, I think, gain wisdom in helping them move through it in their own way. So they really do have a sense of integrity as they answer the question, is it okay to be me, not only across the lifespan, but in this last and final stage? What I tried to convey to you in these two podcasts is that answering the question, who am I, is dynamic. And at each stage, we're working on different questions. What I love about Erickson's lifespan theory is that it is hopeful. What we didn't get in one stage, we can repair in any of life stages. Being a therapist for 35 years, I have seen many people do amazing work and go on to live in a more wholehearted way. I want to end today's podcast talking about what it means if we are going to live with all of us wholeheartedly, as Brene Brown says, or wholeheartedly, as I will talk about in a later podcast. What I am suggesting is that you just be aware that you have six parts of self, social, intellectual, psychological, physical, emotional, and spiritual. I will talk about these in more detail later on, but for our purposes today, as we answer the question, who am I, we do it best when we use all parts of ourself. In my junior high mental wellness program, Inner Challenge, I would introduce these six parts of self to the sixth graders. Each year I would survey them and ask them, what are the top three parts of self you put energy into? Every year the answer was the same. The top three were intellectual, physical, and social. I would put the other three parts of self up on the PowerPoint, psychological, spiritual, and emotional. And I would ask them to think about what are the costs of not developing those three parts of themselves. One time a student said, well, those are the inside parts, MJ. Nobody really sees them. Do they even count? Of course, they count. A very wise student said, I think when I don't develop those three parts of myself, it makes me a little inhuman. Yes, if we're going to answer the question, who am I? We are wise to know Erickson's stages, but we're also equally wise to intentionally understand that we have six parts of self and we want to fully develop all of them. So what I hope you will do in this coming week is sit down with the one pager and look at your life from adolescence to whatever current stage you're in. 
Just allow yourself to reflect on your life story and understand how you have developed in these areas. What strengths are you holding at this time in your life? And are there areas of weakness that with a little bit of intentionality, you could go back and repair? So you step into the question, who am I with your full self? Yes, this is your inner challenge. <laughs>